Hello there, my name is Johnny Rose and I'm the host of In The Know, the podcast for B2B professionals that want to beat the competition. With me today is Ricky Abbott, President of Americas at Transmission. Transmission helps global B2B brands to grow their businesses and achieve their potential. Through a clever mix of pioneering marketing techniques and content creativity, they maximize your market presence so you're seen by the right people. More importantly, Transmission also powers abmguru.com, the voice of account-based marketing, which offers the newest insights in the world of ABM with comment and opinion from vendors and practitioners alike. Ricky Abbott, welcome to In The Know. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, Ricky, I think what would be really helpful for our audience, if just very briefly you could tell us a bit about yourself and how you got involved in the world of account-based marketing. Sure. So, um, previously, so Transmission, as, as you mentioned, is a full-service integrated marketing agency. Um, we're quite a young agency. We're only five years old. Um, in that five years, we started as a media and content marketing agency and have grown to be, being full service. The reason why I'm telling you that is because I've been with the agency since the, since the start. My previous role was head of strategy and planning here. And because I was heading up strategy and planning, ABM was a massive driver for a lot of our clients. We started actually doing ABM uh, four years ago, so only a year into the business. Um, and back then, we didn't even really call it ABM. It was just smart marketing really, uh, marketing to a list of accounts. Um, but we've, well, that was four years ago when we first started doing it. And actually in the four years since, we've grown to, I would say, be one of the leaders in the space. Um, but it's all through experience. And as the head of strategy and planning, I was often not just creating the program, but working with the teams to deliver the program all the way through. As I mentioned, we're only a five-year-old agency, so we've grown from small to over 100 people. And in that time, um, obviously, I had to get very hands-on. So for me, ABM, or my experience of ABM, has been both at a strategy perspective, but also getting into the weeds and physically having to do it. And, Ricky, you say that, you know, you've been, you know the agency's been doing this strategy, albeit maybe not called ABM at the time, but uh, for, you know, for around four, five years, as it were. But so you'll have seen the practice of it change, right? You'll have seen some of the tactics change year by year or month by month and some of the strategies as well. With that in mind, I guess my question is going into this year, into 2019, what are the ABM trends that you're seeing right now that are most of interest or yielding the best results in your experience? Yeah, so I think that's actually a really good question. Um, and I'd say there's actually three main trends. Um, the first of those trends is mostly uh, around how ABM has changed. So if I cast my mind back to four years ago when we ran our first ABM program, most clients came to us and what they asked for is, can you educate me on what ABM actually is? So they knew that ABM existed. They didn't really understand what it was. If I cast my mind, if we then look maybe back at the last year, and maybe even a year and a half to two years, um, clients are now starting to ask us, or were asking us, I want to do one-to-many, or I want to do one-to-few, or I want to do one-to-one. So they're asking for a specific type of ABM. And most of the reason why they had this you know, focused view was that they've gone to an event, or they've saw some, seen some case studies, and they've seen other brands run a one-to-many or a one-to-few or a one-to-one program with success, and they've lifted that and thought, well, I'd want to do that as well. 
a lot of our time, a lot of my time was spent in the last year and a half educating people and saying, well, actually, is that right for your business or is that right for your goals? Moving into 2019, what I'm starting to see now is that brands aren't really asking whether they should do one-to-many or one-to-few, or they're starting to ask less of that. What they're asking for is the ABM engine. And what I mean by that is how they can start being more customer-centric and separate, not just focusing on one-to-one ABM, which ultimately, even though it's a strategic discipline, can be thought of as a one-and-done, almost tactical in its execution. They're starting to think about the customer lifecycle, everything from brand all the way up to one-to-one, and how you link that entire customer lifecycle together. So let me make this a bit more obvious. If you think about, think about it from a customer's perspective, they might engage with you at a brand level. You might then generate some demand in your demand generation programs. You might then say, well, actually, I want to engage with them at a persona level, and I want to start delivering persona-based messaging to them. You might then go, well, actually, what I want to do is, or what, what we should be doing is actually delivering segment messaging, so either competitive or, um, or vertical. Then you might have an opportunity to get into an RFP or a bid, so then you're doing deal-based ABM. Then once they've become a customer, you're then saying, well, actually, how do I upsell, cross-sell that customer? And then finally, once I've upsold and cross-sold that customer, how do I now um, use that customer to win more customers, customer advocacy? So that approach of taking the customer through the life cycle is now what we are starting to do with a lot of our clients, is how do we build the programs? And that means that you can't think of ABM as a one-to-one or a month, one-to-many or one-to-few. You have to think of it all together. The key thing I, when, I, when I was talking about deal-based ABM or one-to-one, it, it's very much still an insular view. So the overlay over the top of that is how does the customer behave and how do we think about the customer throughout this entire life cycle? So that's the first trend I'm starting to see a lot. The second trend, and it's interesting that you know um, we're running this with yourself, but the second big trend is around content journeys or customer journeys. So the, if you think about five, six, seven, eight years ago, um, or maybe even longer, the big brands like Marketo and Eloqua came to the market and they said, well, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to automate a lot of that customer journey through delivering nurtures. Or one of the ways was delivering nurtures, delivering a, a customer journey through a number of steps. What we're now seeing is that those assumed content journeys can actually be quite generic and they're not very specific for each individual, pers- individual person. So let me give you an example. Let's say... I said, I want to deliver a, um, um, a nurture, if you will, for a persona. I think a persona is a marketing manager, and they're going to consume content piece one, two, three, four, and five. That's how I think they're going to work, because they're, they're only involved in those stages of the buying cycle, and I'm going to give them that type of content because it takes them through a journey. Typically, that content is, first of all, thinking about what you want to say. That's the first problem. But the bigger problem here is that if you put 100 marketing managers in a room together, every single one of them are going to consume content slightly differently, and their needs might be slightly different as well. So taking them through that journey of one, two, three, four might not be right, because one of them might go one, four, six, then two. One of them might go two, three, and then another piece of content from another persona altogether. And so what we're now starting to see is how clients, how customers are starting to use AI to build one-to-one content journeys. And that's a really big trend we're starting to... Again, it's not something we're seeing. It's certainly something we're pushing with a lot of clients, and they're starting to go, okay, how do I do that? And then the third thing, 
and I think this is a, a massive area, is the sales teams. So <clears throat> ABM, by the nature of it, is generally led by a marketing team hand-in-hand with the sales team if it's done correctly. However, what we're finding is that, and, and this is there are some regional nuances in this, but there's more and more MarTech providers coming up, and because of that, more and more MarTech, uh, more and more marketing managers and marketeers are starting to leverage these MarTech platforms. What that means is that they're arming their sales teams with more data than ever before. They're giving them intent data, install-based data, content data, and <clears throat> web data. And for a salesperson, that's a lot of information to take in. If you think about it from a think about it from another angle, when a marketing team or a marketer brings on a MarTech platform, they probably have a few weeks worth of understanding what that platform does. They have a few weeks of onboarding. They have a few weeks of integration. And then they start to build that data in. The sales person doesn't have any of that onboarding. What they're doing is they're just getting the output at the end. And so, and sometimes the output is integrated into their CRM and they're expected to use that data and leverage it straight away. And that, I think, is the big problem. They don't know how to use that data. So the third thing that we're seeing, massive trend at the moment, is how marketing teams are starting to take that data, manipulate that data in some way, shape, or form, so that it becomes a narrative or a story that they can hand to the sales teams to give them, uh, to give them the ability to close a higher proportion of their business. Ricky, you spoke just there, you sort of ended your talk on trends about the importance of data and how it's being utilized in, in your specific case, more sales teams, but generated from marketers and their activities. I recently saw just on Idio's own website that 20% of our search traffic is for the keyword first party intent data. So you sp- spoke about the different data sources one could use. My question to you is, how are you seeing intent data coming up in customer conversations around ABM? Yeah, so that's a really good question again. Interesting that we've got such a high volume. Um, so I guess, um, so, so if I, again, go back in history, back in time, I'm not a history teacher, but if I go back in time, <laughs> four years ago, we, did, we, we ran our first ever intent program four years ago. And at the time, we, we thought we were very clever. And to a degree, it was very cutting edge at the time. Um, but those conversations were few and far between. We didn't have many of those at all. Now, it's embedded in every single conversation that we have. But what I think there is a problem around it is understanding what intent data is. <clears throat> so there have been some part, there have been some MarTech providers out there that have coined the term intent data. And so when, when, when clients think of intent data, they often think of intent data as third-party intent data. What you're just talking about is first-party intent data, and that's gold dust. But most organizations don't know how to get it, harness it, or even use it. Obviously, that's the, the that's what IDEO as a platform actually does. So, you know, great. But I think the the big thing we're seeing is that having the intent data is great. Knowing how to use it is a big, big problem. And so, we work with lots and lots of clients um, that have an intent platform of some variety in the US or are using intent data in some way, shape, or form. The setup of how they want to use that data isn't always as as good as it could be. And then what typically happens is, again, to my last point, when they give that to the sales teams or when they start to push that across to the sales teams, that doesn't always get translated into intelligence that's actionable. 
So intent data, sorry, intent data as a whole, I think is key. We have it in every single conversation. I don't have any conversation where I don't have, we don't talk about it. Um, I think the other thing that's quite interesting is how that intent data differs across the globe. So again, a lot of US companies will think of intent data as US, but actually that changes a lot when you come into EMEA for GDPR and language issues, and even more so in APAC because it's a less mature market. So um, that, that is something that I think is a challenge that the companies need to think about. I think the other thing is that how companies use intent data. So most companies I, I work with at the moment will use intent data, but they'll use it mostly to identify the accounts, and that's about it. When you were talking about first-party intent data, actually, if you want to be clever, what you should be doing is, yes, you use intent data to identify the accounts you want to target, but cleverly, what you should also do is use it to inform content, creative, activation, reporting, marrying first-party and third-party together, um, which in, in essence, is your on-site, so first party being your on-site, which might only represent 10% of the market, and then third party being off-site. Then marrying those two things together and taking them through the entire customer lifecycle is where it becomes really powerful. Very powerful indeed, Ricky. Um, another thing I want to talk to you about is just is is, and you'll have seen this firsthand because you work very closely, I guess, with major enterprises where where you're you're brought in to solve these issues. Is that demand generation at B2B enterprises tends to be riddled with complexity. You have lots of different technology systems. Perhaps they have multiple products or propositions or offers. They have myriad different buyer personas. Is is ABM going to get easier in 2019? How how are you at Transmission advising clients that they deal with marketing ABM marketing complexity? Yeah, so um, I think I touched on this earlier, but I actually don't think it's going to get easier. I think it's genuinely going to get more complex. I think there will be more and more MarTech providers out there that try and make it easier to manage by simplifying some of this down for you. But I think the really smart marketers are not trying to overcomplicate their processes. So I think a really good bit of advice I would give anyone is if you look at, if you've got, you've got to think about this, you're building an entire infrastructure and ABM is very complex because when you're building this infrastructure, especially big enterprises, no one person owns each of the, everything together. You'll have somebody that owns, let's say, marketing operations. You'll have somebody that owns content. You'll have somebody that owns brand. You'll have somebody that owns activation. You'll have somebody that owns your nurtures. And with ABM, what you're trying to do is to bring all of these different people together. That's complex enough in itself. And that's an internal alignment issue. And, and that is, I think, massive, massive complications. What you don't want to do is overcomplicate even further by over, overlaying 20 different types of MarTech providers that you think are very clever and all integrate together. But actually, when you get the output, which is the, the output that goes to the sales team, the sales team don't understand it. And to my earlier point, they don't know how to action that insight. So I would, I would suggest that the first battleground for every ABMer is to internally align their business. The second battleground is to simplify your processes to a point where when you look at the output that's going to a salesperson, if you look at it and you ask yourself a simple question every single time, what if, if, if I didn't know anything about this and was given this data intelligence insight, what would I do with it? And if, you, if the answer to that is, I have no idea, 
then you've overcomplicated it and you need to go and simplify it back. Every single time you look at it and go, if, I was, if, I'd, if I'd never done this before, would I know what to do with this data? That's very sage advice, Ricky. And with regard, you, you in your time, especially being an agency, probably see all sorts of creativity that, you're, that you know, client side or vendor side, you know, those sorts of marketing teams aren't coming up with. What are some of the most interesting examples? Maybe just one. We don't have time for like a greatest hits, but are there any interesting or particularly creative ABM campaigns you've seen that are performing well at the moment? Um, so I think this changes region per region. So in the US, I think um, they see ABM as much more data-led and at scale. In EMEA, it's much more one-to-one. In APAC, it's probably also more one-to-one because of some of the um, maturity of the market. Um, ABM typically has been more data-led than creative, um, but the best creative should be a part of ABM programs. But some of the examples of things that I've seen that have worked really well uh, have been actually direct mail, good old-fashioned direct mail works really, really well. And if you do it cleverly, what you can do is um, create one-to-one direct mail pieces but at scale. And that has been really successful. We have a program called Challenge Sales we run with a a lot of clients. And um, it's a a, a direct mail piece and it works exceptionally well. It has a really high amount of meetings that come out of it. And that has been really, really useful. We've also seen a lot of success across social platforms. So again, working with the sales teams and leveraging data points to build personality-based one-to-one engagement. We've seen a lot through there as well. That, that's interesting to hear because I imagine most people's prejudice, particularly in the, in the B2B world or tech world, is that everything needs to be digitally driven. And it's good to know that old-fashioned direct mail, albeit one-to-one and really personalized, is still sort of doing the numbers and performing very well. I, Ricky, so we have... On to us, we've got on to sort of our final question. We're coming to the end of our time together. My last question, which is one I ask everyone who's on In The Know is, what is one thing that listeners should do to make sure they're in the know? Is there one tidbit you can give our listeners, whether it's a book recommendation or a website recommendation or a little tip to help them with their own B2B marketing lives very quickly? What's something they could implement tomorrow um, based, you know, a, a tip or advice you can give them? So... My tip of advice would be ABM is very complex. However, I think it's, it can be simplified down. Um, there's a website, ABM Guru. Uh, funnily enough, we, 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 own the, we own the site, but I think that on that site, we collate a lot of the ABM knowledge uh, from experts in the market like Idio um, and commentary from those guys. I think that's a really good place to start. So you heard it here, folks. Go to abmguru.com for the latest cutting-edge insights and opinion on what's happening in account-based marketing. Well, Ricky, thank you for giving us your time today, and hopefully we'll hear from you again on on another show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, guys, and I hope it's been useful. In the Know is brought to you by Idio, the content intelligence platform. To learn more about Idio, please go to www.idioplatform.com dot com